some beef with someone I don't wanna know Unless they happen to be at this show I don't know who fucked up or who stole all your shit But if they're next to you right now Just run up and hit them there all right uh we're recording uh hello everyone welcome to the garrett schalke podcast i am your host your boy garrett schalke and uh today's guest is uh wow uh there's no real way to hype it up he's uh it's a big one because he's one of my favorite podcasters he is a comedian from the big apple new york city where he is most known for being the co-host of the shows Pod Damn America and Why You Mad. He's also released two comedy albums, performed at numerous comedy festivals across the country. And uh, most recently, he uh, toured with legendary 90s rock band Eve Six. <sighs> Which is uh, what we're going to be talking about, among other things. Uh, folks, he is, after all these years, Homeland Security's number one comic to watch, uh, Jake Flores. Thank you. That was a better introduction than I've ever been able to write for myself. That was excellent. Yeah, that's the intro. Uh, Homeland Security still watching you, you know? I don't think so. I mean, you know, you, you never know with that sort of thing. But uh, what I took away from that experience those years ago uh when i was interrogated by them was that you know my name went to file and i didn't get the feeling that the organization was particularly organized in a way where this is going to come back and bite me especially given like uh how many other people have just reached out to me over the years and said holy shit the same thing happened to me i sort of came to realize i don't think this is something where they're maybe necessarily you know doing cointel pro stuff to the brooklyn podcast scene <laughs> like to imagine that we're that important over here um i think that uh the the or you know the deep state or the fuck the intelligence uh organizations in the government right now are just kind of flailing wildly and and bad at whatever the fuck they're supposed to be doing and ideologically wrong in so many ways so uh Actually, oddly, don't. I'd be surprised if it uh, if they ever followed up with me. Yeah, they're uh, more concentrating right now on uh, Maka guys attacking their uh, FBI uh, agents. Well, they're, not, they're, not you know popular leftist podcasters. Yeah, I mean, but it's like they aren't though, right? Because that happened because they kind of weren't going after a lot of those guys, or at least in any way that made any sense. Um, the J six stuff, like you know famously was organized in public on facebook and yet uh there wasn't really a whole lot of like police or you know federal government type stuff there to like preempt it from happening so 
I don't know if it's just if now they're like, oh, shit, <laughs> like we should go after these right wing, you know, uh, radical types or, or what the hell's going on back there. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive here, but uh, to me, it's been a few years and I'm like, hey, I, I'm not. I've been <laughs> fly a bunch of times and stuff and do stuff that if my name was on a particular watch list would have probably tripped. Yeah, I have thought about that, like when you're touring. And uh, yeah, I don't see anything in the U.S., but I don't know. Maybe it could come back to haunt you if you go outside the country. Like, you know, you go perform in Canada and they're like, Hey, uh, we got this report from Homeland Security here. Talk about a joke you made that one time. Yeah, I haven't really traveled internationally in the last couple of years, so that that could be the thing that trips it. Um, I was going to go to Mexico, and then COVID happened, so I'll never know what what, what happened there. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. (laughs) All right. Well, that was just the intro. I know you took that off your profile, but I thought to add it in there. Oh, no, thanks. Wrote it myself. I think it's clever. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Jake, uh, thanks for taking time to come on, man. Uh, how's it going? It's going all right, man. I'm back in New York. I got back from that tour with these six. I know we started talking like during that tour kind of about recording something. And I uh, I think I called an audible and was like, you know what? It's hard to I've done podcasts in the middle of tours before. And it's um, it's it can be done, but it's sometimes <laughs> a necessary amount of stress. The the upshot is that sometimes you capture a little bit of the essence of like what it's like to be in a tour when you do something like that. But uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me sort of get my marbles back together because I got home and then the shit hit the fan in New York in so many ways in my life living here. Like um, I had this thing happen where my air conditioner crashed and I live in like a punk house where it's like not. I keep trying to explain this to people in my life. It's like, no, no, no. It's not like when your air conditioner crashed. This fucked shit up around here, like, really bad, because this is not, like, a place humans are supposed to be living to begin with. So the AC was really holding a lot of shit together. And uh, and then, you know, from that forward, it just knocked over a bunch of dominoes. So I've been, like, picking up random bartending shifts to scrape together cash to buy this or that part and all this stuff and, like, really just kind of living in the weeds but i'm i've embraced it i'm having a pretty um manic summer you know where i don't know the wheels of destiny have just decided to throw a bunch of shit at me and um at first i was pissed off about it and then i watched that show the bear and i got really into service industry mindset and became one of those guys and now i'm like i'm I'm just into fighting against the universe so this is uh, a this is a nice nice break actually sitting down and having a conversation yeah a little behind the scenes for uh all the gsp fans but uh yeah i think jake is uh probably the most i've emailed back and forth with for a guest we've had some pretty good negotiations on there on how to make this this interview possible yeah, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's well worth it <laughs> no, I'm glad to be here. I mean, I, I appreciate you working with me because, uh, you know, yeah, I'd go to town. My sister got married and stuff. I've just been really oh, busy. Really? I mean, most people, you know, summertime is like a like a break for them. And for I think I'm off by some kind of cosmic clock or something because, like, I think uh, the summer has been a gauntlet for me. So I'm like waiting until the fall, and that's when I'm going to go to the beach or whatever. I don't know. Let's like I'm. There's a oasis on the horizon for me, uh, life-wise. 
Oh, uh, well, we'll get into that. And uh, before caught me in the middle of all that shit so i appreciate you get, letting me go hey let's bump this back a couple weeks help that out oh okay okay before we begin to uh a very cool room there uh i know i say that because i too once lived in a basement apartment it had ups and downs mm-hmm. yep all right uh, uh i'm sorry what oh i was gonna correct you this is more of an attic but it doesn't matter oh wait you're in an attic uh, technically, I'm above a factory. Oh, oh, nice! At the top of a factory, it's really weird. So, uh, are the hosts of a Street Fight Radio, Brett and Brian, uh, were they accurate saying that you live like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle? Yeah, it looks exactly like that. Okay, okay, I'm glad we got that out of the way then. All right, uh, Jake, let's uh, get right down to the questions, man. Uh, yeah. Eve, Eve Six, you uh. It's been about three months since uh, you toured with them. Yeah. Uh, how did this uh, unlikely union between you, uh, Jake Flores, podcaster and comedian, and uh, 90s rock sensations E6 happen? Um, that's something that I like only learned really on the tour itself while hanging out with Max. Eventually, I kind of worked up the nerve to ask him like hey how the fuck did you find me to begin with because you know the short answer is that he's a twitter guy and he listens to podcasts right and he's into like left shit so i knew he listened to choppo and uh and some of the other ones and i but i didn't know the rest of the story and so i asked him about it and i guess the way he tells it i mean you know max is like the guy from Eve Six, his name's Max. Uh, everyone else knows him as the guy from Eve Six. Yeah, the Eve Six guy. Twitter. Eve Six guy. Um, he, I mean, he's got a really interesting life. You know, he he wrote this song when he was like sixteen or something. It blows up. It becomes you know this huge deal in an era when you can have a hit and then have it make your band. And so he's been a rock star his entire life like hasn't really had a job you know other than that and he's he's certainly aware of how blessed he is to have had this and you know he's still got the band and is still touring on it a lot of people saw a lot of people when i told people about this tour with eve six and i kind of thought this too because i'm a stupid brooklyn hipster or whatever is that like (laughs) i it kind of thought oh are they like resurrecting the band like was it you know was it like a band that fizzled out and then they stopped and then they're using this Twitter stuff to like give it some gas or whatever and like bring it back. But the, actually the fact of the matter is that E6 has been touring consistently since the nineties. Like it's just something you don't think about if you're not in that particular fandom, but like most bands that you would think of in that area of the ether, like they just tour, they have fans and then they have, you know, a touring schedule they do every year to, to service those fans. So uh this was so I guess what I'm getting at though is that like he, I, this guy was around and he was he had a pretty established career and stuff. And I think that at some point he just got like really comfortable um you know with the band and then had enough free time to develop other curiosities and stuff like that beyond like 
the stuff that he was even writing about in those early albums and stuff. So like, you know, his own fans are often thrown off. Like, how? Why is this guy talking about like socialism and stuff on Twitter? <laughs> like, well, what does he think he's going to be sitting here talking about putting his heart in a blender like he was writing about for like sixteen when he was sixteen years old? It's like in his forties now. You know, it's like three decades. So, <laughs> I yeah, think- well, yeah. Why isn't he talking about like nineties alt rock or sharing old videos with captions like? Man, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what you have to do, you know, to, to serve the fans if you're if you're in a band like that, but you're not actually just reduced to that much, you know, mental hard drive space or whatever. So this guy clearly I mean, he's really interesting. He has a side project that's really cool. It's really funny. It's called um fuck uh, Chevy Mustang, which is like clever because Chevy doesn't make Mustang. <laughs> It's just this thing where he just he just he pretends to be a German techno guy and then like just makes these really bizarre like techno songs as like a weird Andy Kaufman, Weird Al kind of bit. Oh, like an outsider music kind of thing. Yeah, but like it's on purpose as a joke. Like you, if you uh, want to book Chevy Mustang, you have to call him and ask for Chevy Mustang. And then he like, you know, puts the phone away and then comes back as, yeah, you know, this is him. Like it's like a whole thing. It's funny. Uh, right? <laughs> oh, nice guy character. So this guy's got other stuff going on in his life than what you think about when you think, oh, the Eve Six guy, right? And uh, I think one of those things is that he probably went down a podcast wormhole at one point, and he told me he started listening to this show called The Perfume Nationalist, which I've never even listened to, but I'm familiar with. And I think what the story there is, is it was one of the very early, like, leftish, uh, radical podcast things that existed, but then, like, it became very clear over time that the guy who started it was actually a Nazi or like he moved in that direction. Oh, yeah. And no, so I've, I've never heard of him until now. He's like actually kind of uh, ideologically fascist, but then <sighs> there were people, like the, if you get into podcasts, they're just a soap opera. Like there were people that were on that show that then left and started their own and they didn't like that guy anymore. So they did this other thing and yada, yada, yada. And you know, everybody knows fucking Chapo's like the big one and all those other stupid ones that are like in the orbit around it. But I mean, like, I was I was guesting on random shit and I was on the show called Girls Chat at one point that like, no, oh, I listened to that one. Yeah. yeah, you're a weirdo. If you heard that, like, that's <laughs> cool. But <laughs> also, I mean, nobody listened to that show. So like, if you heard it, that's fucking cool. I think he he heard me on there and then he went, oh, shit, that's like, yeah, okay. I think I think you rapped on that. I rap a lot of fun and I guy fuck it was so funny because I was like no one's gonna hear this and then it turns out I think a lot of people like happened to catch it and uh I think it might be the reason that I opened for you six because eventually that guy I remember when he started following me on Twitter too it was before I knew anything about his current like actual self and I was like what the fuck the Eve six account like, <laughs> going on here you know and then eventually though me and him started he started tweeting like at me and i'd tweet back at him and then it turned into a mufos thing and then eventually it turned into the type of thing where like we dm'd enough and had conversations and then eventually i was like i was thinking about something i could call him on the phone and be like man what do you think about this you know (laughs) and then we kind of just became friends the way you do through the internet and uh and then it won and then eventually he goes like do you want to open for the band on tour and i was like of course i do you know it's a great gig for me and stuff but i mean he really like (laughs) he really pulled his weight and like in booking me because like you know usually if you do something that big 
at the very least, they ask you to send a tape or something. Like, you booked me, like, kind of blind. I mean, I have, like, some material on the internet, and I maybe listen to my albums or something. But his, like, he kind of told a joke about it on stage. You know, his, his like, um, management and stuff was, I was not their first choice, you know? <laughs> like, he, <laughs> he really, uh, he really kind of pulled some, uh, you know, some, some rank there. But, like, um, also, though, it's pretty cool that he did that i think and i think it put on a pretty good show um but yeah i mean he just kind of manifested all this <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's smart you know i mean he got he got he came at he arrived here through being really interested in the anti-capitalist stuff i didn't really know anything about um the other guys in the band before the tour but then i met like john siebel's we call him sweet pea and you know, stay up all night talking to him about like you know like uh like china and stuff and like he's like in the psl you know we'd be talking about other <laughs> palestine and shit like that and i'm like holy fuck all right these guys are serious this isn't just you know some kind of twitter trend these people got into um so they're serious leftists and i think that's kind of the glue that hold the whole yeah. thing together. god can, can you imagine if they were that out about it back in the 90s oh how things would have been might have been different instead of just being the inside out people. Well, I doubt they were that radical back in the nineties, but um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know though, you know, sweet pea has a, a sticker on his guitar that says free Palestine. And it's like, he's on stage. It's there. If you're smart, you see it. If you're dumb, I don't think you know what it means. Like, I don't think, I think you actually kind of could be like a famous band like that and be screaming sort of from the rafters like free Palestine if you wouldn't even know what the fuck you were talking about. Like, I just I say this because I was just like arguing with somebody in a bar the other night about Rage Against the Machine. And the guy, oh, but he was like a dumb liberal and he was like arguing with me about politics and he was like communism's bad. But then like 10 minutes later, he was talking about how much he loves Rage Against the Machine. And I was like, but do you not? listen to the lyrics or understand what they mean and the answer is no of course you didn't you know <laughs> so i don't know i mean rage against the machine is interesting because i you you can have totally radical aesthetics going on and stuff and uh as long as you act like a like a band in capitalism then no one gives a shit e either in the industry or in the audience and you know, kind of, E6 is kind of an interesting, like, uh, you might even call it like an inside-out version of that. You know, uh, I see what you did there. Thank you. Uh, in that, their aesthetic is just their aesthetic. It's just a band. You know, it just sounds like music about living life or whatever. Yeah, 90s rock band. But the way that they are operating by like booking, you know, not to fucking put a feather in my own cap here, but myself and a openly extremely queer ska band like we are the union their actions are radical and that's the stuff that actually might get you blowback you know from the industry all right uh before we before we get all into that adventure let's just get this off the table uh what's your favorite e6 song aside from inside out <laughs> um you know it's funny as i have a few now uh from touring with the band and hearing them every night and stuff and i'm not even really that sick of them i'm a little sick of them because i heard them 30 times in a row but <laughs> uh 
I don't know. I mean, you have a good experience like this. It kind of causes. If I met Eve Six and they were like assholes, that it would cause their music to sound worse to me. You know what I mean? And but because they're extremely cool, I think I mm. it caused my brain to be primed for like uh, really trying to connect with this music a little bit more. And uh, so now I have, yeah. I mean, I, I unfortunately think that's how a lot of things work. So I guess I say that so because I don't want to sound like a I'm bullshitting you if I go, oh, I've always loved this band and everything. You know, it's like no, they. I'd be lying, you know, if I were just saying that to just rewrite everything because they they gave me such a good opportunity. But like, um, anyway, having arrived at this this relationship with the music in that manner, um, I told Maxis and I kind of bummed him out. But I think <laughs> we played New York City, and we played New York City. Uh, one of my favorite musicians, a uh, guy in a punk band called Titus Andronicus. Guy's name is Patrick Stickles. He had he had also become friends with Max on Twitter, and he uh, did this thing where he asked to come sing one of their songs, and so he covered it in a Patrick Stickles way. And when he covered it, I listened to it, and I really because I was such a fan of the way he plays music, and maybe understand the song in a certain way. And that song was "Promise," which is like one of their other kind of big hits, um, but like, and their video went kind of viral. It's like on if you look it up on youtube and stuff you can find it there's like a short clip i think they might have even taken my camera footage of when because I, I filmed the part hmm. singing it um but it really like the way stickles sang it because he's like a punk guy that has like a lot of blues going on in the background of what he does he does a lot of like weird like uh springsteen-y kind of backbeat oh. shit oh punk blues heartland rock kind of stuff yeah i mean i i the blues in the background of punk to me like really is essential like when you listen to like um i don't know like the slits or something like that or like um fucking there's a really great band called ben out of shape from here in new york that has a lot of this like kind of weird thing where it's like it, it almost just sounds like old-timey rock and roll for a little bit but then it's got the spirit of punk in the front of it that it, more like a garage rock kind of yeah so he really turned promise into that and now when i listen to it I, I hear everything just brightened because it like it 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 showed me what's going on in that song already but but i think max's lyrics in it are really brilliant and i think he gets a lot of shit for like uh you know like he always makes fun of himself which is why he, i think he's so funny and so smart and because he's like humble about what's happening in his you know absurd existence as a human on the planet earth but like um you know, he always he makes fun of the the nature of his own lyrics and those old songs because like they're absurd and they don't make any sense. And he says, "Oh, I read them a long time ago. I don't know what the hell I even meant when I was saying or am I origami or whatever." But like, I don't know. I was just listening to like Beck the other day, and I was like, "You can make the same argument about like Devil's Haircut. Like, he's what the fuck is that guy talking about? <laughs> You're allowed to do that with music, right? Is is like write these like you know these." is um just like lines that just evoke you know bizarre absurd images that don't really uh have to mean anything or can be just be a rorschach test or maybe they do you find out later oh this actually meant something you know it's like it's cool it does stuff to your brain so uh, think about the way he wrote those lyrics back then and that song promise and it's just got these lines like uh you know white as a newborn or red as a newborn white as a corpse it's like how it leads into one of the fucking choruses and stuff 
and they're intense you know they're cool i like it um that one really pops to me i also just really like their new stuff i don't know if you've heard the new one mr dark side but uh it's i'm the cover of the album so i like that one a lot um <laughs> oh uh, is that the is that the one that he currently has as his profile picture on twitter right now yeah yeah um i think but i do think it's a good song i think he's kind of got this interesting like um power poppy kind of thing going on right now oh. honestly you know what though like another thing that he's done that i really like that i think is a fucking banger is this one-off thing he did with a guy from bass drum of death and it happened when he was first getting really into twitter and just sort of like wasting a bunch of time on it like you do so i guess what happens is he was starting a lot of shit with other artists from the 90s and <laughs> getting into arguments with people and stuff and like talk, talk, you know, spilling all this gossip he wasn't supposed to say out loud and stuff, which I, I like. And I think that's also why me and him did a lot is because I was doing a lot of the same stuff. Just getting in, just getting into a beef with like the main singer of spin doctors <laughs> yeah, yeah. or deep blue something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got into a, a kind of a thing with the guy from base room of death who I like the band and, um, and then I think what happened is in the middle of arguing, Max realized he was kind of wrong about what he was saying and he was being, he was actually the asshole. And he also, Max is sober, you know, and he has all these great stories. He's the kind of guy who's sober and has great stories about when he was drunk. And, you know, that's why he's sober is because he was, it's like too much, you know, one of those guys. So, uh, you know, so he's wise, though, in the way that this, the person who understands their own addiction and stuff is wise. And like, I think that he started to realize when he was arguing with the bass drum of death guy that the bass drum of death guy is maybe an alcoholic or a drunk or whatever the fuck. I'm not, you know, oh. put that word on it myself. I don't fucking know. Just outside of the story. Um, but like, you know, he saw some patterns and realized the guy was like drunk at a bar and on his phone and fucking tweeting with the guy. <laughs> And so he went to rectify the situation, I guess. And he was like, he apologized. And then somehow them talking about their fight turned into them making a song like um, Postal Service style, you know, sending <laughs> tracks back and forth. Oh, and really? Postal Service? That's how they did that, right? The Postal Service? That's why it was called oh. that? Am I oh, that man. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Ben Gibbard, I think. That's Cat for Cutie. Yeah. Postal I Service. Think- the other person he made that project with, they like sent the tapes back and forth, and that's how they made it or something. I really? think I'm wrong about that. I think that's why it's called the Postal Service. Um, but it was a collaboration through the mail. So, anyway, uh, Max and the bass drum of Death Guy made a song called You Were Right. And at the time, I was talking to Max, and we were just talking about bands in the 90s, and I was going through, you know, just certain like phases and listening to music and i was talking about the the band placebo and i was like man you ever listen to placebo like what do you think of them because i love to ask him what do you what do you know about this band you know like he's always have a story because he toured with them or whatever so i was talking about placebo and i think he maybe just had placebo in the brain when he made this song with the bass drum of death guy but it is a certified banger like it's so good he made this weird genre you know like indefinable uh what do like kind of spooky gothy like pulsing song and i play it all the fucking time it's in my rotation like it's good that one kicks ass um yeah i don't know a lot of them 
right. Uh, my favorite song is uh, Here's to the Night. <laughs> What's the other big one? Easy. No, I like, no, even back in the day when, you know, in the 90s when I was a kid, I enjoyed that song a lot more than Inside Out. Okay, fair enough. That is, you know, you know, in a sea of Inside Out enjoyers, I am a Here's the Night appreciator. Yeah. No, okay. Sorry. That is not easy. I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah. It's, it's, all right. All right. Let's get, all right. Let's get down to the serious questions. Then. Uh, okay. So you went on towards E6 as a comedian. Yes. You know, you did your act there. And uh, if I recall right from my research, uh, this isn't the first time you've done a, you, wait, what? Wait, what's this? This meeting will end in 10 minutes. I'll grade out to remove the 40 minute. Wait, oh, what? Wow, we have a time limit. Wait, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? That happens unless you um unless you uh purchase like the $15 a month Zoom thing. But I could probably record the rest of it on my end. I've I've zoomed oh. it. Oh god, can you please do that, dude? Yeah, no problem. Let me open up my recording thing here. I might have to. I might have to. Oh, you know, if you, I think there's a way to make me like the host. Okay. You know, it'll probably stop. Okay. Uh, uh, hold on a sec. Yeah, let's Zach. figure that out then. Jake, I am so fucking sorry, dude. <laughs> it's all good, man. I say my first rodeo. I do this all the time. Hmm. Uh, you never hear about this on Pot Damn America. You know that? <laughs> uh, that's a lie dude oh, we're such a mess all oh, fucking equipment's always exploding and shit and like Anders is always knocking shit over on it <laughs> no it's cool shit like that not you know lame stuff on here where it's like upgrade now or else we'll cut off your shit on this important interview you're doing this exact thing happened to us when we first started doing zoom over the pandemic um also, this is not important, but I appreciate that. Uh, okay, so how do you make somebody the host? You go. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Let's see. It might be under participants or. Oh, you know what? If you go to. No. Honestly, now that I think about it. The fans I do have probably do expect this to happen during the podcast. <laughs> if you go to participants, click that button, a little box pops up. Okay. And then if you go to, I think, the dots next to my name, does it say make host? Mm -hmm. Let me do that again there we go there we go okay make host slap okay you are the host now okay uh now <sighs> i'm host of the show oh uh, you are in control huh, huh. It, won't, it won't where's is the timer still going for me yeah it's still going hmm how do i make the timer go away Hmm. 
quality podcasting content here on <laughs> hashtag powerful GSP. Well, here, you know what? I'll just start a new room and I'll just email you the link. Oh, you will? Yeah. Let's okay. okay, folks, we'll be right back. Uh. Thank you, Zoombot. <laughs> all right, all right, we're back. All right, we're back. Uh, and we got the train here because... Yeah. Anyway, we're back with Jake. Uh, Jake, thank you for seeing this episode. <laughs> oh, no, no, and, uh, I don't know. You're recording on your end now. Is this technically a swap cast? Sure. Why the hell not? Okay, great. GSP PDA swap cast. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Back to your regularly scheduled program. Anyway, uh, Jake. Uh, according to my uh, research, from what I remember, this isn't the first time you did a musician-comedian tour, right? I believe that you did one in the past with uh, Mishka Shubal. Yeah, me and Mishka have been out a few times. Um, it's Yeah, it's kind of a niche I've worked my way into, is opening for musicians. Um, Mishka is, if you don't know him, he is a brilliant singer-songwriter who kind of plays alone just a guy and a guitar and he kind of is adjacent to the comedy world because he he was like this he played in bands in new york city in like the 2000 2001 era like before all the new york city rock blew up back then and wrote these really clever like heartbreaking songs that speak to dumb guys who have a lot of heartbreak and drink alcohol and things like that and uh so i immediately fell in love with his music when i was a young man and uh he also i guess attracted the ear of doug stanhope who is yep that's uh, how i first heard of him yeah. don't cut your hair on doug stanhope podcast right yeah I, before Stanhope had a podcast or anything though. He loved Mishka and he took him on tour. Mishka was opening for him, so it was the other way around. And I was a Stanhope fan, so I went to go see Stanhope and then saw this guy opening and thought his music was really great and the whole show was cool. And so I think I followed him on like MySpace or something at the time. And uh, then, you know, it's odd because like he, <laughs> he was. Um, that was back before he quit drinking, and now it's insane to think about because he's like so defined. He's one of those guys who's like defined by his sobriety now. Like writes books about it and shit, and has this really intense, um, wise perspective. But he was still a drunk when he was opening for Stanhope, and I think that's when he like. I mean, that makes sense. Hanging out with somebody like Doug Stanhope, you might hit the wall, you know, if you were gonna hit it ever. Um, Stanhope, anyway, oh, yeah. though, is a great Canadian, but he's yeah. A, Stanhope encourages that behavior. Yeah, he's a really interesting intellectual comedian who is also just like a hedonist and like a cosmonaut. So he's lots of drugs and alcohol and stuff going around. Um, and he stand up somebody I was really into at one point, and then he took a libertarian turn, and I kind of wasn't. And then he, he's, to his credit, I think he figured out that that was bullshit. Um, not to get bogged down in politics, but yeah. So Mishka. I was a fan of his, and then eventually I was living in New York at the same time as him and started coming to shows and seeing him, and then slowly we just started working together, 
And so then he asked me to come on tour with him. And I, I think I worked out and developed a lot of the weird, like, skills and stuff for opening for musicians doing that. And we became pretty good friends. And it helped a lot with then, like, the, the Eve 6 thing. And uh, well, I just got back in town and opened for Off With Their Heads, you know, and was able to kind of use a lot of the tricks and stuff that I've learned working with those two other people. And, uh, yeah, it's a good niche I've got. I don't know. I like it. It's cool. If you're in a band, you should book me to open for you. I'm the only com- comedian that knows how to do it. Everyone else fucks it up. Yep. Everyone check them out on Twitter at Feral Jokes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what was the difference between, you know, the E6 tour and the Mishka Shubali tour? Aside from, you know, solo musician and 90s rock band. Um, the size of the audience. <laughs> um it's funny man mishka is like a good friend of mine now like we're all i mean it's same thing with like max like it's funny you know you're a fan of someone and if if you're if you're an artist and they're an artist and then you want to use the opener or whatever eventually you just become mutual fans of each other's or whatever so like now mishka is like he's like one of my closest friends and i if i pick up the phone i call him if i have a problem you know and i need to like hear somebody's perspective on shit so like uh he some just busted his balls what i'm saying but like he's really interesting though in that he's like he's done some pretty huge stuff like as a writer like um mark lanigan the singer from screaming trees uh he he's like a he if you're into music especially if you're into like grunge and stuff this is a huge figure right uh just died right before he died Mishka, like, helped him write his book about his life. A lot of people don't pay attention to who the, you know, the co-author is on a book like that, but that's, like, you know, pretty big. <laughs> um, hmm. Mishka's also, like, written a bunch of shit on Amazon. I think he wrote the first Kindle singles that really took off on Amazon. So yeah, has, I think it's the one that popularized those. The one that what? I think it's the one that popularized uh, Kindle singles. Yeah, yeah. And so, like... It's really funny, you know, he knows I'm a fucking pinko commie, so I always bust his chops over this, but, like, when mm. Mishka wrote his own book, uh, the foreword to it is written by Jeff Bezos, because he, he like, what? is a... Wait, f- what? Yeah, really. really? It, the foreword to Mishka's, like, memoir is written by <laughs> Jeff Bezos, because Bezos <laughs> read all those stories, because they were the first things that took off on Amazon Kindle, and then he became a fan, probably oh. for reasons, just, I'm sure Bezos is one of those sober psychos, you know? Uh, who knows why, but, like, so Mishka's, like, a huge deal. Like, he's, like, writing on these huge levels, you know, but a lot of times, like, like, Max with the, you know, with his band and then his side projects, like, the thing I was describing earlier, you know, Mishka's real art, the thing he really wants, he, he makes a lot of money writing and stuff like that, which he is brilliant at, but the thing he really loves is just jumping in the van and playing shows, but, you know, neither him or me are, like, particularly famous so and especially the way a tour works you know you might you might play a big fucking 300 person room on a friday night or a saturday night but you still need to play a show that coming monday and so a lot of the shows we fucking play in front of you know 12 people or whatever and uh <laughs> it's uh but the you know but that's something you you get doing stand-up too i mean stand-up is a stupid art form that half the time nobody watches so like 
um, part of it is just learning to play those shows and like learning how to deal with that situation when it happens and also how to play to the big room and stuff. Um, and also like the crowds are just different. Like a lot of Mishka's fans are Stanhope type weirdos. And uh, yeah, I, I've uh, seen Stanhope about three times. He is one of my favorite comedians. I have my criticisms, but yeah, I agree with you on the fan portion. Some of those fans yeah. are like insufferable. Some of them are really fun. I mean, it's just he's a fucking he's a you know countercultural like intellectual, so he's just gonna he's gonna attract all sorts of weirdos, you know. Um, <laughs> and you have to know how to play towards them, I guess. Uh, but some of them are fucking great. It's some of them are the, a nightmare, and you know that's true of a lot of things. But um, and honestly, Eve Six like they attracted just like normal fans, like people. And I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean like norm, like normie people who were just like, um, who were had you still to listen to the radio. Yeah, they listen to the radio, <laughs> like in, <laughs> instead of like Spotify or whatever, which is like just bananas to me. So I had to figure out a way to reach those people too, you know. Doing stand-up is, like, all about connecting. Like, you're bad at stand-up if you do the same thing and then you get mad that you get different results because it's, like, every group of people is different or whatever. So th these are just the minute differences that I noticed while trying to figure out how to not bomb these shows, you know? All right, and uh, throughout the tour, you know, you podcasted and uh, you talk talked about a lot of the places you performed at, most notable being a Comet Ping Pong in washington dc uh i assume neither of you found the basement there <laughs> no um i love comet ping pong pizza man i you know i is the food good there it's great <laughs> and like you know it looked really good on the tour poster and everything um it was funny it since we are since the tour was themed after kind of an internet phenomenon of you know, me and him being friends and stuff, um, it made sense to book Comet Ping Pong, but, like, how do I explain this, right? So, like, most of the venues we played with Eve 6 were bigger than Comet Ping Pong. Comet Ping Pong is a small punk venue. So, when we started talking to them, I think they were like, fuck it, we'll do two nights. That way you can sell the same amount of tickets and just stay here over two nights, right? And it worked. Sold both of them out immediately. It was cool. Um, and I think that they let us get away with joking about the Pizzagate stuff more than they would another band because they knew that was, like, part of the gimmick. And that's cool of them. But as soon as I got there, you know, I was starting to feel out the room and starting to figure out what I was going to joke about on stage and stuff. And I, I did a few adrenochrome jokes and stuff. And, like, you know, we were all doing it at each other. I mean, it's funny to us because we're us and we're, we don't work at Comet Ping Pong Pizza. I guess is what I'm getting at. But I started. Yeah, we don't, have, we don't have people busting in with guns pointing them at you. Yeah. And also, I mean, even outside of, like, that extreme of a context, something you got to know as a traveling comic is, like, if the town has a funny name, and you're in town for the first time ever, don't do a joke about the town's funny name because everyone there has already heard it and they're sick of it, you know? <laughs> Something's new to you doesn't mean it's new to them. It's probably like the exact opposite. 
or like I don't know if you meet a person with a fucking funny name you know what I mean like you ever go like oh my god your name's this and the person just scowls at you because they're like fucking heard it every day of their life right so like with comment ping pong pizza I immediately really realized these people are way over it like they've heard all of the jokes they don't give a shit they're they keep getting attacked by proud boys and stuff and it is a real true blue punk venue like they really like putting on shows there and if well you know all these musicians have worked there over the last couple decades and stuff i know people that have worked there now that i think about it you know and um and they they just want it to be over so the vibe immediately turned from like making jokes about adrenochrome and stuff to like as i was hosting those shows i suddenly felt like no, we have to protect Comet Ping Pong Pizza, you know, like it's the fucking Alamo or something, like from all <laughs> these other motherfuckers. And I noticed when I was talking about like radical shit on stage and stuff, the people there are very cool and they're socially minded just to punk bar and shit. So they would be like, you know, cheering for it and shit. And I came to really love Comet Ping Pong. <laughs> I, uh, I want to, I think I want to go back at some point. So keep an eye out for that if you live out there. But um, yeah, no, nah, man. Funny thing about jokes is like the, the adrenochrome stuff is going to be only funny to you and me because we don't actually live there. Actually, uh, a little side note here: I run, I have my own music project called Meal Be Glory, and uh, I'm currently working on another album that's a uh, more uh, folk punk, anti folk, comedic rock. Cool. And uh, Zach here uh, helps edit and mix my songs because I'm a casual. <laughs> Uh, the one that we did today before this podcast, one of them was called I'd Walk a Mile for Adrenochrome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know what you mean there. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious, right? Yeah. It's a subjective. All right. So aside from Comet Ping Pong, uh, were there any other stops that you that you consider like your favorites or particularly notable? Yeah. Um bottoms lounge in chicago was a great fucking show uh oh the bomb lounge yeah yeah i've been there once yeah that was a great venue um i think that might have been one of our best shows for sure like it was the last show we did with was it no it wasn't the last show but it was oh it was the show that i think that we are the union and, and max finally played sound systems it was a big big uh event and I just remember, oddly enough, as a comic, like, uh, something I, you know, wasn't thinking about that much and then really started to as as we kept going and I kept doing sound checks and then, like, realizing how big the rooms we were playing were and realizing how they weren't, they were set up for music and not comedy and stuff. I started learning a little bit about sound <laughs> and then <laughs> I fucking talked to the guy at Bottom Lounge in Chicago when we were doing a sound check and he sort of went like, he like, you know, I could tell he was thinking and he took a no mental note. And he went, uh-huh. Yeah. And then he turned a knob or whatever. And that show, I had a really good set. And I could tell that he was killing it as a sound guy, as odd as that sounds for like a comedy thing. And I went and I was smoking a cigarette after my set and I was talking to him and then he just went off and he was like, okay, so the way they mix comedy specials on Netflix is you hear a lot of this big sound in the middle here. And he was just going off like it, things that I had never thought about, you know, in terms of like how to how to make a joke project to the back of a room like that. And I was like, this 
fucking rules. Like, God, I wish I had this guy with me every fucking show because then I w- wouldn't have these problems where, like, oh, there's a wall, drunk wall of people talking and then the you know, people behind them can't hear or whatever. So that one, I mean, just shouts out to the fucking crew there. That, that place was great. Um, <laughs> and then uh, La Poisson Rouge here in New York City was fucking great. Um, we played a really cool place in Greensboro. It's not Greenville, Greensboro, North Carolina, I think. Um, that was, I don't want to say surprisingly cool because that's an insult, but like, I mean, we almost didn't play because there were like shootings and shit happening all week. Just some local like drug. Very, war. very cool place. <laughs> Bad shootings. And, uh, and it's the South and you get a little bit nervous about just it being like, you know, a bunch of hateful, you know, whatever fucking conservatives. But that show is really cool because uh, when you live in a place that's full of hateful conservatives, there's often a vibrant counterculture because everyone who does not feel safe around, you know, the fucking Confederate flag guy has to get together and sort of hang out at the same bar or whatever. So, like, the people that came out, I think mostly to see, like, We Are the Union because they're, like, this big queer thing. Um, they were fucking great. And I had one of the best sh- sets of the tour there, oddly enough, which was a place I was kind of nervous about. Um, but yeah, no, there was, there was a, there was a bunch, man. It was a great tour. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think of, uh, Grand Rapids? Where oh, I'm from and you and I met. Right. I had a great time at Grand Rapids. Uh, yeah, that venue was great. And the audience, I could just tell. I think the the Midwest is just, great for comedy because it's a thing where you're drinking beer and you're on stage and you're like just kind of going hey is everyone drinking beer i'm also drinking beer and having a good time you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean it's uh especially i guess for like you know the type of stand-up that works with rock and roll and stuff um i just remember immediately going oh this is the right vibe like everyone here is having a good time in the way that i have it which is with a slight amount of desperation there's a slight amount of there's nothing else to do let's get fucked up kind of going on uh but i kind of yeah i I remember thinking like i could i could move here like when i when i was in grand rapids i get the culture oh yeah it's uh officially beer city usa we uh won it one year then the whole competition ended so we're forever Beer City, USA. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. Is that? Yeah, and uh, second biggest city in Michigan, right after Detroit. So cool. Yeah, did you uh, explore Grand Rapids at all when you were here? Yeah, I went and ate at uh, Founders, the brewery. Yeah, uh, had a the big really, brewery there. Really messed up sandwich at Founders. It was really good. Um, hung out a little bit. Uh, went to that dive bar around the corner from the venue that uh god damn i had something called a frozen pudding shot i had like five of them because we (laughs) went there at the end of the night and i asked about the frozen pudding shots which i guess is like a kind of a a play on a jello shot like instead of jello it's pudding and yeah yeah, that sounds some like that sounds like something that would come out of grand rapids yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I remember I was like, uh, so I asked about him, and it, but it was close to last call, and so the bartender went, "Look, I gotta throw all these out anyway. 
throw some money at me, I'll give you the whole thing. And I was like, I understand exactly what's happening. Yes, here's like a you know ten dollar bill or something, and uh, I just got this bucket of like frozen pudding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, God, I mean, it gave me it gave me like you know all sorts of acid reflux or whatever. I remember eating it frozen, a frozen hangover it was there were heath bar jellos with like vodka in it and reed the front lady of we are the union was particularly disgusted with uh that <laughs> i remember <laughs> it was pretty cool uh <laughs> yeah i know it was cool it was definitely the type of place i would i'd go back to and hang out at all right well like i said folks i was there first time i met you and we got the greatest picture ever together. No oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, the reception to you in Grand Rapids was good from what I saw. Uh overall, how was the reception to your performances on this tour? Um, you know, mostly good. Um I think I figured out how to do the show after a couple of shows you know we started the first one oh i mean the first show in austin was just a banger of a show so i don't think it really mattered uh that maybe i hadn't quite perfected the set yet but um i i started to i was thinking a lot about this because this is i mean this is a fucking cool thing to be asked to do as a comic but it is not an easy thing to do opening for bands especially ones with like a real following so i i was a little worried because sometimes you know i mean every single situation you're in on a in, on a tour like this is you getting to a city and no matter how much it's been advertised that i am opening for eve 6 you know, most people, when they go to a thing, aren't researching the thing. They just fucking buy a ticket. And if you see a person's name, you probably assume it's like a singer-songwriter or something. Why wouldn't you? Makes perfect sense. Um, so people are just thrown by the comedy part of it. Like, a lot. And it's and there's no one that goes on before me and goes, Hey, just so you know, there's a comedy c coming out. <laughs> so it's just my job to, to deal with that. And I feel like I did a pretty good job. Like, by the end of it. You know, looking back on the whole thing, I mean, I don't, I don't fucking think just anybody could have done this. Like, I felt like I was using a lot of skills that I built over the years and stuff. Um, but there was like some pushback. You know, I, I did my best to alleviate it by basically noticing what was going on show wise. Which is, I would go out, I'd go before We Are the Union. Their fans are punk and queer, and they're gonna listen to all of my intellectual bullshit and appreciate it for what it is right but then i you know so that's the easy set kind of although sometimes i wouldn't you know there wouldn't be enough people there or something like that so it'd be still kind of rough and then the second set i'd go on before eve six and at that point you got people who are drunk um they are often the types of pr people that didn't show up to watch the opening band much less me you know so right there that tells you something about where these people are coming from, which is that they just fucking came to hear the song from the radio. They don't, they're not here out of curiosity to support anyone else. They're actively against the thing, you know, the, the acts that the band they came to see booked, you know, they might not even understand that's how it works. Um, 
and you know they're just kind of kind of normies and like are consumers of music rather than like listeners in a way right so a lot of these people i mean i figured that out and so what i did is i for the second set i would do a lot of filthy shit and a lot of like jokes about drugs and stuff because people that are sort of there you know confused going who's this guy why is he yelling at me uh where's my music if you know the I know this both as a comic and a bartender. Drunk people are kind of easy to herd, you know, because you're just like, <laughs> you're less drunk than them. You're just kind of smarter than them. So, you know, if someone's angry that you exist for a moment, you can sort of throw out a like a who's drinking tonight. And then they're like, yeah, you know, they start yelling, you know, I'm drinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you start talking about sex and drugs and they start, you know, wooing and stuff like that. And there's, so there's all these subtle things I picked up to like kind of kind of uh corral these people and uh you know i think i did uh, pretty good and the best that can probably be done in that situation but you know there's some some people there's no overcoming and so i did have a few people yell things like where's the music or like just call me you know straight up just call me a fag or whatever you know or just like what throw a thing or whatever you know um and that's you know, also not something I'm going to, like, get too upset about because I know that I'm not supposed to be in this situation technically. But also, to some extent, where's the music? Fucking fine. But, you know, the homophobic slurs and shit, especially after fucking We Are the Union went on, like, that's that's something where I'm going to throw something back at them a little bit, I think. And, um, you know, that was just a general force that was there at every show and then most of the time i think i sort of overcame them or like or at the very least we it was a detente but there's only one or two shows where i go like they won <laughs> you know yeah. like I get to the end of the set and be like all right fuck it here go watch the six you know <laughs> all right so uh it's been about what uh three months since the tour happened uh looking back now uh what's your overall perception of the tour for you uh was it good would you want to do it again? Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I, of course I would want to do it again. It was more lucrative than usual touring is. It was um, a fucking adventure. It was a really good time. Uh, the shows were really good, you know, for the most part. And, like, it was also easier than touring at the level that I generally tour at. Like, you usually i drive myself you know what i mean and mm -hmm. e6 has a tour bus you know and uh it's great i mean it felt like a i feel like max really like treated me to something like he like likes me and knows he's got you know some uh some pull in this world and that i'm down here in the gutter and so he i think he thinks it's uh for whatever reason, he enjoys, you know, reaching down and, you know, and treating a guy like me to the good life for a few days or whatever. So, like, this is probably a, a level of, like, comfort touring that I'll, I don't know if I'll ever achieve again. So, like, of course I would do it again. Um, I was reading Laura Jane Grace's book before I went on tour, and there's a part in it where she talks about going from, like, you know driving around uh, in a, i'm sorry that's the lead singer up against me isn't it yes 
All right. trans woman previously lived as Tom Gable, right? Um, mm. So she talks about being in against me and like living in a van and stuff and, you know, touring as a punk band and it being a complete nightmare and shit all the time, which is something, you know, more of us can relate to, I think. And then talked about when Against Me blew up and getting to travel on a tour bus and stuff. And the thing is, when you travel on a tour bus, you you get to hang out and get drunk all night after the show and then go back and sleep on the bus. And then the bus driver drives you while you're sleeping to the next city. So you just wake up in the parking lot of the next venue. You don't have to crash on someone's couch, spring for a hotel uh, have this crazy mad dash where you're running late to the show the next day. All that stuff goes away. And she, I remember reading her book, and she was talking about how boring it was at that point. She was like, this actually got boring. It got so easy, you know? And she had been trained to be, like, um, you know, like, uh, on you know, prepared for anything at all times. So it's, like, this odd reversal. And I, that's, I really related to that on the tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, I, I just tried to enjoy it while it was happening because I was like, yeah, this is. I'm probably not. I mean, unless fucking next year the Smashing Pumpkins decide they want me to open for them <laughs> or some shit, you know, probably not gonna happen again. So, uh, I mean, at that level, for fucking sure, I loved it. It was, it was like summer camp or something, man. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Next year you go on tour with the band that did Closing Time. Oh hell yeah, Semisonic! Yeah. I bet I bet they have a whole fucking fan base and shit, just like you six. <laughs> um, but no, I mean I'm probably gonna go on tour again in like my own car or something, and then that's gonna be quite the depressing feeling. Setting out and going, oh wait, back down to, to you know here, but whatever. I mean I, lo I love touring. Touring is like it's exhausting though. When you're doing it, it's so everything's moving so quickly everything's at such a high velocity that you kind of have a come down when you get out of it and you go like all right i never want to do that again and then a few months later you know you start to go okay all right i'll start planning it again and stuff and i it's like you said it's been three months if you had, if we had talked on or right after the tour i might have been like i'm never fucking doing this again <laughs> but i've gotten to the point where i'm like all right all right all right i'll get in the fucking van again all right all right, uh, all right, enough with that part there. Uh, we're going to be talking about a subject now particular to you that I'm very interested in. All right, uh, first of all, when you and I were going back over emails hashing out this uh, now legendary interview, uh, you mentioned that uh, you're working on a project since you got back. Uh, can you tell us anything about it? Um, well, I haven't been working on it that much. Um... Yeah, I think I'm right. I'm gonna write a book, um, but oh, really? Yeah, uh, it's something I've just had in me for a long time. But right now, it's just in the it's scraps. I uh, I I got I got bogged down with other bullshit, like I was describing at the top of the show, and it kind of got me off of that even that. So, uh, <laughs> so it's I'm very busy, but um. That is one of these big projects that I've got. Like really, now that now that touring is out of the way and shit for the for the time being, I think I'm gonna work on for the rest of the year if I get the time. Um, 
I used to write a lot. I think I was pretty good at it. I wrote like satire columns and stuff in newspapers and like um it's a weird skill that like once you start podcasting, podcasting is like a form of writing, but it's not literally written, you know. You still conceive yeah. of ideas and then put them on paper sometimes and shit. But I really enjoy the written word and I've just got like this huge I can just feel it. There's just a lot of stuff in my head that I need to process uh, artistically, I think. And stand-up is a fine medium, but it's kind of limited and stuff. Uh, I like telling stories, so I don't know. Um, if you're uh, following me, keep an ear out for that. Because I, I have a lot of thoughts about like the way the entertainment industry works and, you know the punk scene and scenes in general and the podcast scene and like this weird fucking thing that I've sort of lived through over the last five years being in Brooklyn and being around you know alt like leftist podcasters and writers and comics and stuff like that and I think uh I just think somebody needs to write it, uh, the book about it <laughs> <laughs> all right what I want to talk to you about is your uh work ethic or your work process I, uh, when I first got into, uh, Pod Damn America and you, uh, it was in the midst of, uh, check out all these other podcasts like Street Fight Radio, Shopo. But one thing that I guess you stood out more than others is, uh, what you've talked about with like your work ethic and even your analysis of things. Like my two favorite Pod Damn America episodes are, uh, the two ones that you did solo. Uh, I forget what one's called. The other one was called Why Do Chuds Listen to Lenny Bruce? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, what? So, like, I guess say I'm, uh, say I was kind of analyzing why I think your work process or your ethic is. And uh, to me, it seems like it's highly influenced by, you know, anti-capitalist politics, DIY, punk ethos. Am I uh, right at all? Yeah. What is what is your work process? <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, totally. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like I was saying, like I used to write, and I feel like I had this hole in me where I, I, you know, I need that. That's part of what I do. So every once in a while, I do write an episode of the podcast. I made the podcast like basically at the beginning purposely vague in concept so you know a lot of podcasts write themselves into a corner i think i've, I've been doing stand-up for like 15 years by the way let me back up let me back up here i've been doing stand-up for like 15 years um it's podcasting has been around a lot longer than the recent version of it it's recent like evolution where now it's a thing where three dorks get together on a zoom call in Brooklyn and talk about the news or whatever before that it was uh no one knew what to do with the medium yet and a lot of it was people trying to do what Mark Marin did because he kind of revolutionized it in a certain way and made it like interviews and then you know Rogan just sort of four hours of sitting around talking to some dumbass person and smoking weed or whatever the fuck that became one <laughs> version of it and uh 
I used to listen to a show called Race Wars, uh, <laughs> embarrassingly enough, but it was a bunch of New York comedians, almost like radio, like they were all hanging out in a room, and uh, they all went crazy and alt right after that, and I kind of that I mean, kind of informed what happened with me too. But um, I was thinking about the form of it a lot, and I, and then I also noticed. So basically, this thing would happen where every comedian needs to have a podcast. It was like a side gig that you had to have. It was part of your portfolio if you're trying to get other jobs to show people, I have all these connections. I know how to produce and you know make a thing. Um, whatever the fuck you were trying to put out there. It just became a thing where you have to have a website. You also have to have a podcast as just part of the way the job was shaped. And I thought about that, and I was like, well... I mean, I, A, I don't really give a shit about certain things like that in, in my line of work, but I it was like, well, I'm glad this this is a thing that people are treating like that because I like podcasting. I always liked the uh, the um, the the medium or whatever. And mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of people, though, would get frustrated because they would make like a show where it was like, you know, every episode we ask these 10 questions or we play this game show game or whatever. And... You know, eventually that, that it's a lot of fun on like a long road trip to listen to like ten episodes of a show like that. But eventually, it runs out of juice because you just like, okay, I just get what this is. I made PDA when I started it purposely vague, so when people ask me what it's about, I just go, I don't know. It's me and my three friends, and we're leftists, and we do whatever we want. The reason being is I didn't want to pigeonhole us into having to do the same thing every week and ask have a guest and ask them this all right at the end of our episodes we always ask the same question like that sort of thing i was like no what i want and this is where the diy stuff comes in you were talking about Mm -hmm. uh, instead of having a job at a newspaper where i have an editor and i have to pitch ideas to them and then they tell me whether i can put them on i want a thing that is public facing that always exists that anytime I get an idea, I'm find the editor. I'm free to throw it up there and then let it sink or swim, you know, depending on just whether it works or not, and not have to be like confined through capitalism in so many ways, what sells like newspapers and clicks and stuff like that. So, you know, every week me and the other two guys I do my show with, we have like a group chat or a meeting or a Zoom call. We go, what are we thinking this week? And Someone could go, I want to interview this person. Or someone could go, I had this great idea. What if we played D&D or whatever? Or someone could go, and it's, you know, it's supposed to be like, whatever you want. Like, we were, this is a little bit DIY and a little bit anar- anarcho of me. Like, I was like, like, this should give us freedom rather than constrict us, like, creatively, you know? And I write. And that's why, you know, I, I set it up to where... Every once in a while, I can go, hey, Alex, Anders, take the week off. I wrote a thing. I'm going to do an episode as that or whatever. And I really like doing those solo episodes because it gives me, like, a medium to to put out what it used to just be like. I, mean, I guess before I had the podcast, it would have just been like a blog or something or an attempt at writing a book that never gets fucking published or something like that. So, you know, that is both anti-capitalist in nature because it fucking i think you know i I set up an alternative like zine type situation here you know that i i think i purposely did that because i think that trying to publish through someone like like i used to work for the observer you know it's owned by jared kushner like there's stuff that might not (laughs) make it through that editing process or whatever um 
you know that is going on there and also the diy stuff like yeah i mean it's that, that that's all one big ball of wax or whatever but no you hit the nail on the head man i mean that's why i do that shit and like yeah i remember i wrote that fucking thing about lenny bruce just because like i was thinking about all this stuff that was going on in in the world and in like the stupid culture war at large that's reflective of like what's going on in economics but also you know a microcosm of exists in my niche subculture being a comedian and stuff and like that's 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 what i live for when i'm doing shit correctly i make stuff like that um you know when i'm busy i go okay i'll, I'll be a stand-up comedian this week and we'll joke about what the fuck happened to elon musk on twitter or whatever but uh no i appreciate that man those are my favorite things to do uh okay side question i wanted to ask you there uh lenny bruce is he still funny Absolutely not. Um, he's <laughs> the greatest comedian of all time, and he's not funny. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Um, no, I mean, yeah. he's, he's historically important. And, I mean, there's some stuff. I, every once in a while, because I am a nerd about him, like, I'll go back and listen to his shit. And there's just some stuff that is evergreen. You know, he makes a joke about um, something that just fucking still persists, like, uh, you know, some some something about men and women or whatever the fuck, although that's arguably not evergreen but um but for the most part comedy is extremely temporal and i think he was really important because he was temporal like he was talking about what was happening in the world at that time so by nature of being so important in the moment in the the 60s you know uh that yeah that means he's not gonna be something you can listen to fucking what is 60 years later or whatever you know or uh, almost 60 years later and uh and it like you know it, it sounds as funny as the the joke of the day on twitter or whatever god uh i'm gonna sound like a total complete hipster here but uh <clears throat> i still find uh lenny i agree with you on bruce there but uh i do find his uh few spoken word musical performances really endearing sure that's how that's the first thing i saw was uh he did like a spoken word musical piece called All Alone. <laughs> I just I just really loved it. Yeah. Then I, I heard his comedy. I'm like, oh wow, that's completely different. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, comedy was so much different back then. I don't know. I guess another thing I should say is like um a better answer to that question is it isn't no, he's not funny. It's not necessarily. Like, cause people I think often want the thing that's right to be the thing that's funny and there's not a one-to-one -one correlation there like the answer is you know maybe you might find some of the stuff he said still funny uh you might not like that's completely irrelevant to whether what he did was important or whatever or whether he's like an important artifact in history or whatever hmm. you know so you know we, right. if we went through his entire body of work there'd be some cool shit in there and then there would be some shit where i'd be like who the fuck is Spiro Agnew, <laughs> like what is he talking about? You know, it's not gonna pop the same way a joke about Kamala or whatever pops yeah. this week. You yeah, know? who? Yeah, who is this city councilor that he's bitching about? Yeah, yeah who cares? He, he wouldn't know. Wouldn't be in the ether, you know. All right. So uh, when it comes to the work process, uh, do you have any? Uh, is there any differences in the approach when it comes to you doing stand-up comedy and podcasting? Yeah, totally. Um, there's a really slight important difference I try to keep in mind, which is that podcasting is often deliberately political. 
like especially just our show the point of it is that we are meeting to discuss you know it's like a it's like a study group or something we're meeting to discuss this specific project we have that has an agenda and it's you know we're trying to deconstruct and and construct and stuff like that and uh it is propaganda a lot of the times it's 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 often not funny because uh the point is the politics and the comedy is the uh the second thing you know it's the the secondary element that hangs in the background a lot of the time stand-up comedy is the other way around and i think that you're only really a good artist you know because it's art right problem mm -hmm. podcast is propaganda stand-up comedy is art i think you're only doing art right if the art of it itself is the point and then the secondary element is all the other shit so you know, i always tell people like stand-up is not my stand-up act what i find to be funny and to like work and to make me laugh which is kind of most important as a starting point or to be something i find funny often not overtly political it's not rage against the machines i'm beating you over the head with the fucking thing but there's politics in it it's just that i didn't start with that shit it's like mm -hmm. i started with writing down notes about shit that i think is funny and then writing it into bits to get to those punch lines which are the things that you know punctuate and make the the act flow or whatever because i'm writing my thoughts and i think certain things you know and i think about politics a lot and there's gonna be stuff in there but it's stuff that is in there like on accident the way that like the barrel of you know that they kept the whiskey in is still kind of in it at the end process when you're pouring it out the glass bottle it's not the point right the the point was the, the corn or whatever the fuck um, <laughs> the main thing that gave it the flavor, you know, and I think that that's like important because you, when you, you can tell when you are listening to somebody who did it the other way around and they're overtly trying to capitalize off of having certain politics. So they're just getting claps and stuff like that instead of like going for laughs, you know, which is annoying. Um, both with liberals and with shitty fucking libertarian types, you know, you get, you know, either someone who's just like, uh, you know, every joke is like, and men make more money than women this much on the dollar. And everyone claps and you're like, okay, that's not like a gut laugh hmm. thing. You're just sort of like pandering. And then with like libertarian shithead types, you know, it's, ah, uh, you can't say anything anymore because the woke mob comes after you and then there's these frothing at the mouth fucking idiots that are just, like, clapping at that. It's the same thing. That is not gut laughter. That's fucking something else. Um, you know, I try to start with funny. And often, I, I think it often disappoints people that listen to PDA who, like, then want to come out and see a show because they, they're, they're politics junkies. So they often think that we're going to be up there and, you know, talking about destroying capitalism. And then I'm like, the funniest thing that happened to me today is you know that i thought of this dumb thing about you know a movie i watched or whatever or like a drug i did or you know was some weird experience i had and you know whatever uh um, wait what why is he joking about these 
popper things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You <laughs> should be talking about Wall Street right now. But the thing is, if you make art, like, the, the truth is a secondary element, and it's in there. And so, like, that joke I have about poppers also has, like, if you're paying attention, there is commentary about, like, gender and the drug war and stuff like that. It's just, it's not the fucking point. I'm not selling... I'm not selling that, like, oh, you agree with me that drugs should be legal or that toxic masculinity is stupid, right? Because that is kind of the point of that joke, is that, you know, for any of your listeners who don't have a joke about doing poppers and then realizing, like, that they're a really good drug and that the only reason I didn't do them was because of, like, toxic masculinity and how you think stuff is for gay people so you don't do it, and then you find out, like, oh, poppers are this great drug, right? Um, but that's, like, that's not the point, and... You also see with people with bad politics, their politics come through as the secondary element in their comedy because they'll sit around and come up with what they think is funny. So like right wing fucking chuds, you know, will come up with stuff that makes them laugh. And it's often just base whatever, you know, shit about dicks and pussies and asses, which is like, you know, kind of the funniest stuff on earth. That's why it's at the center of so much (laughs) comedy. But then in the way they construct their, like, jokes around them, you'll hear, like, these elements of misogyny and stuff like that. And it's hard to to grab someone and explain, like, I found the tea leaves in the thing you made that reflects something about you. But, like, you do comedy long enough, you can, I think you can, like, see it in there, you know? Mm. Oh, God, that's almost a perfect segue into the next segment. But, yeah, uh... So you talked about how you're putting together a book right now. Uh, is there any other plans to branch out to other artistic venues like music or art itself? You know, oh, man. Painting, all that shit. <laughs> uh, God. I mean, I do like all sorts of shit, but it's like uh, hobbies to me. Like every once in a while, I'll, you know, fucking bust out the notepad or, like, a tablet or something and try to draw like I used to when I was a kid. And it's for fun, but it's extremely un, like, serious. And I I have a guitar, and I kind of, when I'm, you know, when I have the time, I like tooling around with it and trying to p- make punk music and stuff. But I don't, I have, I could, fuck it, I'm tone deaf, and I can't draw a crooked line. Like, these are not natural things to me. I... I kind of have, and I'm 35 years old, you know, so, like, there's, like, I think about that a lot, and I go, can you start playing music when you're 35? And then I think, well, anyone that tells you you can't is, is a loser, and, like, you should just do stuff like that with your time. But I also have so much respect for, like, art forms, knowing, having the perspective that I have about writing jokes that, like, I would not, like, insult a musician friend of mine by asking them to, like take what I'm doing that seriously or like book it or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, th- Oh yeah. That that's why I think most of the time, whenever I give Zach here a song, <laughs> please take me seriously. <laughs> I got, I mean, I almost I tell people why I do uh, comedy because I wanted to play music and just, you know, I'm not good at it, you know? So like it might be my fucking personal side project that no one ever sees for the rest of my life. But you know, I mean, I've also had friends who have, like, be- felt like that, and then, like, you listen to their thing that they spent 10 years on, and you go, this is fucking great, you should go play it. So, like, I try to keep that in mind, and maybe maybe if I ever get there, like, uh, I, I might, you know, at some point in my life play a fucking set somewhere or something, but... Yeah. 
I have the big distinction in my head between like the thing that I majored in, you know, <laughs> like the thing that I put the fucking time into and have like uh, confidence and some level of authority on versus like other stuff where I would have to approach it as just the most humble fucking student you know <laughs> <laughs> but i like music and uh you know maybe someday probably won't be that right. good but it might feel good to make it all right that was a very serious portion now let's get on to a real fun one all right poppers hell yeah let's talk about yeah it. Uh, <laughs> yeah well yeah that's actually one of my uh favorite jokes that you do and that you return to all the time is uh a little-known drug called poppers. <laughs> uh, Zach, for all the listeners who don't know what this wonder drug is, can you give a brief summary? Did you say uh, Jake or Zach? Jake. Oh, wait. Fuck. <laughs> all, right. all right, I'm out. I'm out, dude. <laughs> no, it's all right. Anyway, Jake, could you uh, give a brief summary of what poppers are? Sure. I thought we were going to get a guest explanation for a second. Um, no, poppers are... Uh, <laughs> poppers are a drug that I guess originated like way, way back. Like, uh, they were kind of popular in like, the disco era. Um, I heard that they used to pump them into the air conditioning at S- Studio 54. Oh, oh Jesus. Yeah. Really? I don't know. Somebody told me that. I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but like, it's one of those things like Quaaludes or something, you know, just drug from the past, except Quaaludes aren't around anymore. Poppers are, right? So, Poppers is amyl nitrate, which is a, uh, uh, like a chemical it comes in a little jar it's often sold as tape head cleaner because like, i guess that, you, that was the thing you could use it for was to clean like cassette tapes or something but you know it's that it's one of those legal loopholes where like no one's cleaning their tape heads with the shit it's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a drug that you can get on like the you know the weird like other shelf at like a head shop everyone goes in to buy bongs and stuff but there's like often these other little weird things like whippets is one that's maybe a little bit more popular people (laughs) know you can inhale co2 or whatever and like get a little high off it um but poppers are you know the little jar rush is the main brand that you'll be familiar with um you unscrew the top you take a sniff it gives you this crazy head rush and uh whatever and that's the whole drug and but the other important detail of them is that so they're apparently very popular in the gay community because apparently that head rush does this thing to your like bloodstream or whatever blood pressure where it loosens everything up including your asshole and so like people that fuck in the ass <laughs> like <laughs> the person getting fucked will use poppers to like loosen things up or whatever and it also you know it kind of puts you down in the space or whatever for a little bit it's a crazy fucking drug um but I, you know so the joke i have is how about how like i just started doing poppers at one point because i'm a dirtbag and i didn't know the other part and then you know we get into the toxic masculinity and like whatever and then it's i'm yelling like you should do poppers straight people should do this they don't do them because they you know because you think people are going to call you gay or whatever and like it's an absurd situation because you uh you're like screwing yourself out of an enjoyable drug experience but they're yeah they're still legal and you can get them at head head shops and stuff and uh you know it's just one of those crazy things that you come across if you party enough and hang out in dirtbag you know diy shows and stuff they've always been very funny to me i don't know why yeah, so uh, when did uh, you first hear about poppers? Um, 
I, you know, I, I, I remember <laughs> an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia a long time ago where they were doing them. And oh, I think I remember that. Yeah, so, yeah. it was kind of funny, and I, <clears throat> I don't really remember the context of it. But then I, it's like, I, I literally think like at one point just at like a punk show or somebody somewhere someone just had them and i went oh yeah i like had vaguely kind of heard about this like movies and stuff you like sniff it and then i did it and then later on learned all the stuff about it and then that's kind of how that joke formed or whatever but then like yeah after that i mean you also you see them at drugstores you see them at sex stores um, eventually in my life, someone I was hooking up with had them and I went, Oh, right. You can use these for sex. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it just kind of came out of left field. I think, I think, I think that, that it's always sunny episode might've done something for poppers. <laughs> it might've brought them back into the fucking, uh, the conversation or something. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, honestly, you have a lot of great jokes about them, especially on Twitter. I think you did like one time you put you posted a picture of a uh, macho man Randy Savage and said that he was uh, wearing the rush colors. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> red and yellow, man. Yep, yeah, but uh, you joke about it, but do you do poppers on the regular? Um, Is that part of your life? Or no. You know what? Yes, but no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to explain <laughs> that. What I've done that joke a lot. It works when you're opening for bands and stuff it kind of stuck around in my act like more than other material does because it, it's specifically good for that situation so i've done it so much that i've had nights where people were like holy shit do you do poppers and i'll go like at that point in my life <laughs> i had like not done them in years and been like um no actually jokes aren't always true like it's an exaggerated thing about an experience <laughs> i had a long time ago but if i'm being honest with you uh, recently I started bartending again, <laughs> and so because of that I became, you know, very much enmeshed back in the party world, um, they've shown back up, and I, I was doing it the other night. Uh, in fact, actually, hold on, check this out. Uh, I have a jar of poppers <laughs> right here, <laughs> right on my desk. Okay, uh, that's not Rush, what is it? No, it's Super Rush. Oh, it's, uh, oh Super Rush. Yeah, it's like they're, uh... Oh shit! Oh fuck! I don't know. If, I don't know what the fuck the difference is. I think it costs the same, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're around. I don't know. You, drugs are weird. You get older and you start to figure <laughs> out which ones work for you and which ones don't. I can't smoke weed anymore. Like at all, it gives me like crazy panic attacks and stuff. But I like to drink beer and smoke cigarettes and every once in a while do a popper. It's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I only uh, did poppers once, and uh, it was a decade ago with a partner. You know, we were hooking up, you know, get high, have sex, etc. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about one day, and she is like, yeah, I've heard about this thing called poppers. I think I want to try it sometime. <laughs> then then we, we looked it up and everything. <laughs> and, like, the, the next day I went to a local adult bookstore, and it wasn't Rush. I think it was, like, Amsterdam, I think it was called. Oh, I was gonna say because if you, uh, I learned recently that Double Scorpio is the good one. If anyone's out there and they're looking into trying this, yeah. So yeah, we tried it, and uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan. Like it, <laughs> it just gave me the rush, and then I got that 
headache. I was like, oh, God, fuck this. Yeah, the hangover, the hangover you get from them for like a little while is kind of on. It's not great. I, it's, yeah. I have them around because it's something I think I got impulsive about when I was like already drunk. One of those types of things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so only done them, so only did it once, and we weren't really good at it, so we didn't do it since. That's all right. Drugs are all about finding what works for you. No, I did make a pretty good tweet the other day. It got two likes, so that's good for me. Where I said like I can't do poppers anymore due to my high blood pressure. <laughs> nice Ooh, done. Got him. <laughs> two likes. Nice. No retweets. <laughs> Uh, right. Wouldn't worry about it. <sighs> yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's the end of the popper segment. Final one, home stretch. Uh, again, Jake, thank you for uh, taking the reins and hosting this thing. <laughs> I am. I am so fucking sorry that happened. No, wow. no, it's all good. Um, you don't usually do this on Zoom, right? No, actually, uh. Actually, I think this is like the third or fourth interview I've ever done on Zoom. Yeah, then don't worry about this it. This honestly has never happened before on previous ones. Well, uh, yeah, we'll talk about it later. I'm pretty long winded. It's probably why it happened. No, we've had some pretty long ones too, but uh, that's weird, internet. All right, uh, final topic I want to talk to you about. Uh, it's been something I've been interested in since 2020 happened. And uh, I asked this for, like, all the real big important guests, especially someone who's in a position such as you. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about uh, COVID, specifically COVID in New York. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, All right. I'll ask uh, my favorite question that I ask guests about this topic. Uh, Where were you when when you realized that COVID was going to be a big deal? Like, what was your oh shit, oh fuck moments? <laughs> um, I think I have a pretty good one, man. Uh, because, like, so my podcast, PDA, Pod Damn America, it was like, um, it was doing pretty well. And, you know, politically, what was going on at the time in early 2019 was the, like, the, the, the climax almost, the full swing of the Democratic primaries, right? So, we were doing these shows at a place called Secret Loft live every time they had debates. And it was really fun. Like, we would have, you know, we would just do the thing where you just have mics and you sit on stage and you just do mystery science theater at the fucking debates. We'd make fun of Pete Buttigieg and all that shit. And, like, um, like James Adomian came by for one of them. Like, they were good. They were going really well. And then we, we also got asked to, to perform a live podcast at... Caroline's, which is this huge comedy club in Times Square. It's one of the big ones in New York. I don't think that they understood our politics necessarily. I think that they, one of the bookers wasn't a leftist. I think he was more right-wing, but he hated Elizabeth Warren, and he listened to our show, and he also heard us hating Elizabeth Warren, and then he was like, cool. (laughs) So he booked us, and we did a live show, and it went pretty well, and it went so well that he said hey come on back to the office and he pulled out 
the calendar, a big rollout calendar. He unfurled it across the table, and he went, here's the rest of the year. Let's book you guys a show for every month the rest of the year. You can talk about everything oh, up until nice. the election, you know? And we were like, damn, all right, cool. We got ourselves a residency, you know? And um, also, I had just had this other weird thing happen where I had gone to Philadelphia to go see a buddy of mine open for uh, Eddie Pepitone. Oh, wait, I got on the show. That's right. I decided to spot opening for Eddie Pepitone, too. And uh, I took a mega bus down there. And I had this really weird thing happen where I was on the mega bus. And they, one of the mega bus workers came up to me and was, like, kind of trying to tap me on the shoulder. And I was, like, kind of trying to ignore them because I was like, oh, no, am I in trouble, you know? And I was <laughs> wearing headphones. And then they were like, sir and i took off my headphones and i was like yes and they went you won and i went you i won what and then they pulled out this big ass golden megabus <laughs> ticket and they said you won the golden megabus ticket because you picked this seat and I oh was like, yeah i remember that. what the fuck is that and then they showed me and it was good for like free megabus rides for the whole year right uh or the whole next year that happened in december of 2019 so all this shit was keyed up and it was supposed to be like this great career year for me. And then COVID happened. And like, I remember because we had booked another one of those live debate shows and a, a comic who ended up being like really, really germaphobic, I found out. So the, so 2020 really fucked with this person. Oh. They, we, I, we booked them and they dropped out and they were like, I'm actually getting really freaked out about this thing that everyone's been talking about. And looking back on it, I'm like, oh, that was the canary in the coal mine. Like, I should have listened to this person because they were so germaphobic. They had a little bit more of a like insight in what was happening. Um, but, I mean, I, st I fucking almost put on a show, you know, that week in probably February, right, of, like, 2020 – or, uh, yeah, of 2020 – yeah, that's weird. I mean, we went and canvassed, and I remember, like, we didn't go into one of the fucking nursing homes because they were like, oh, the COVID thing is going on in there. It was weird. It was, like, isolated. It wasn't all the news at one point. And, yeah, I just kind of remember canceling that last show and then deciding to stay home for, like, a week and thinking, okay, maybe this will all blow over. And, and like, God, and then all hell just broke loose. <laughs> it was really weird. I was also, like, I just started dating somebody, and so I, like, went over to her house, and then I just didn't leave for a year. But I thought it was going to be temporary. Yeah, man, that was a weird time. All right, uh, what was your uh, daily life in New York like during this time? Like during lockdown? Yeah, yeah, during like the very beginning, the worst parts of it. I got food poisoning the first week of it, and uh, I kind of had a weird moment where I was like, is this COVID? But then I realized it wasn't. It was something else. And I... Uh, Oh, uh, yeah. So I went over to my, at the time, girlfriend's place, and I remember thinking, well, so if everyone has to stay in, 
like she was like you should stay here and then i talked to my roommates about it because i live in this fucking stupid punk attic thing and you know i was like well punk houses work in a certain way here because everyone is busy all the time and everyone's working all the time so you're never all home you're not all home all the time you know what i mean but when they started laying out the rules for lockdown i was like okay if all four of us are here all the time that is you know that's gonna suck for the foreseeable future so i i'll go hang out at her place that makes sense and i went over there and then her roommates were like both getting ready to leave town permanently one of them hated me from the internet because uh, I you know was associated with Chapo and all sorts of stuff and just thought I was like a misogynist or whatever and then like maybe she started to like, warm up to me after a while because I uh, I don't think I am a misogynist but you know it's not my call to make but mm. we just hung out and we'd wa- be watching reality TV and she you know would go like well, you're actually nice and I, go, I think so you know <laughs> um, go gee thanks but at first when I had food poisoning she was really freaked out that i had brought covid into their place so like it was really it was just tense uh you know and i had kept having to look up the symptoms ago massive vomiting and diarrhea is not a covid thing i don't think yet or at least it wasn't at that point um (laughs) so it was weird and then yeah i mean then me and her just lived in that apartment in a neighborhood I don't really live in for like the lockdown part of the beginning of the year and it it was just so bizarre I'm glad you asked this because I I feel like we have just collectively social amnesia about this like does everyone remember this it was so traumatic and weird and yeah I just I remember thinking well at least I've got the podcast and I was watching a lot of movies and stuff and we we adopted some kittens and it was fine, but it was just weird because you couldn't go outside. And my thing is, you know, I, I like to go to a bar and collect my thoughts from time to time. And you couldn't do that. So what, what I was doing is I was going to the gas station around the corner and then hanging out in the alley next to it. And that was just my bar. I would do that, like, on <laughs> Friday nights or whatever and just, you know, sit at a weird fucking traffic cone or whatever and then just be like okay this is kind of serving the same function and um and then you know the police stuff started and that shit oh fuck man i mean that changed everything because like then you that was when everyone came back out like it kind of realized because that, that had happened like oh you can't maybe spread covid as much outside or whatever i got arrested uh, I got smashed up by mm. some cops, um, lost my bike, lost my phone, got unemployment all at the same time on, like, the same day, and I remember Oof. this weird month in New York City where you could walk around and drink on the streets, not so much because they had legalized it, but because the cops just had stopped doing cop shit for, like, a minute. Like, there was this... <laughs> moment of anarchy in new york city in 2020 that was so fucking cool and that we'll just never get back oh god but that was my favorite part was when you could like go out and it was like we'd almost taken the city back and you could just go kind of have a party in the park and stuff 
And then All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh well from well not this is another question I really wanted to ask, you know, being from Michigan, you know, the the Midwest, uh during during at least the beginning of this, everything was focused on New York for the most part. Which, you know, makes sense, you know, biggest city in the US, big apple. Uh and yeah, the media coverage during COVID was uh not good to say the least. And uh so I was wondering from uh from you being from you being a New Yorker living there, was it as apocalyptic as the media made out to be? Um That's interesting. I mean like so the media elsewhere I do you know, I kinda remember this uh from talking to my roommate because one of my roommates his parents live in florida and he goes home and talks to them and they just like watch fox news all day and they kind of would go like are you okay up there because we've heard that it's just you know the warriors is happening or whatever and then, yeah pretty much you know just everybody catching it just <laughs> shaking shut down borders getting shut down bodies piling up uh, well Yes and no, because the thing is, we would always laugh at his his like relatives, but what they were referring to was crime, and the portrayal in the media of New York as having decayed socially during the lockdown was that there was a lot of crime, and that's not true, really. It was designed to, um, like, all things right now all politics in america right now is just boo there's crime you need to pay for more cops that's just everything can be reduced to that right now it's really fucking stupid but um there wasn't crime there it was fucking weird though i mean like when the lockdown happened you know there were there was kind of almost like a military presence at the beginning and then there was a the lockdown and like at one point Trump flew the Blue Angels over New York without announcing it. And so that was fucking weird because it's New York City where there's like, you know, kind of a thing about that that happened a long time ago. And like, uh, really, <laughs> I can't think about what happened that long yeah. ago that could cause alarm. Yeah, it was fucking crazy, man. And, uh, you know, and then when the cops, you know, were kind of on the, the ropes with the protests, they fucking started putting down curfews and shit and, like, really just just patrolling the streets and there were, like, SUVs and shit. And that was fucking scary. Um, and also with, like, the crowded hospitals, there were, like, freezer trucks full of corpses on the streets. And there was... There is an island where they were burying them in, like, mass graves. That's pretty fucked up. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one I remember. Isn't there, like, an island where it's basically, like, one giant potter's field? Yeah, and they would make, um, and it's, what's fucked up is that it already was that before COVID. It, it was a place where they would bury, like, prisoners and shit, and they would make prisoners bury the bodies. Uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so it was just already operating, and they went, oh, great, you know, we already have this. Here you go, prisoner, fucking bury some COVID bodies, and, like, uh... Yeah, I mean, all that stuff was bananas, but but it wasn't, but I will tell you that, that that's the crazy shit. The crime thing that they were trying to say, so we have to, like, you know, fund more cops, that's fucking bullshit. It was mostly just some weird shit was happening, man. 
<laughs> All right. Well, it's been about two. Well, it's been two years. Well, three if you believe it started in 2019. You know, whichever. Uh, does COVID still affect life in New York in any particular way? Or is it all back to, you know, oh, back to normal shit? Uh, depends who you are, you know? I mean, if people are, people are immunocompromised, I think that they're in kind of a bad situation because, uh, like, everyone else has gone back to normal. People don't wear masks. If you go on the subway, it's like, that's 75% of the subway is unmasked. I work a service industry job where I face people. I don't wear a mask. And no one does in the bar. Like, it's life is back to normal here. And it's, you know, I think a political lesson from the process of quarantining and lockdown is uh, should have been to understand that they individuate politics and problems like this. So, like, I don't think the right thing to do here is to, you know, get judgmental about individual New Yorkers or citizens anywhere who have to go to work and have to go throughout their day uh, not masking all the time and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I certainly felt like you should be on top of that shit at the beginning of lockdown when we were doing a thing. And it, it, if we had done it right, it might have eradicated the disease. But Yeah, yeah, that would have been pretty nice. It would have been cool, right? You think, if you think about it. But, I mean, you know... The powers that be, the ruling class, et cetera, and so on and so forth, refused to operate in a way that would have actually changed things by shutting things down and by disrupting the flow of capitalism for the moment. And because of that, we all have to pay for it. And I, you know, did my part. Um, but to be quite honest, like, it's been so long... You know, I don't really, I don't know if I can catch it. Like, I don't know if I've ever had it. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't feel like I did in 2020. And I don't think most of the city does. Like, and I think honestly, New York, like, we, we fucking wore masks here longer than a lot of other places. Like a year ago, I went to Fire Island on like a vacation. And that's where like, all these fucking people go on vacations and like, um, you know, out in Long Island and shit. So, like, suburban-type people. People watch Fox News and shit like that. And I remember thinking, oh, out, masks are over out here for these people. And then when I went back to New York, everyone was still wearing them on the train and stuff. Um, you know, and I still was last year. Uh, and I will, like, if it's, like, a thing. Like, if there's an event that is quarantined or something like that, I will. But generally, nah, man. I think COVID's just a fact of life out here now. All right. Final question of the night, bro. Uh... How about uh, the new kid on the block, Monkeypox? Uh, <laughs> yeah. How's uh, New York dealing with that? <sighs> um, you know, I have a lot of friends in the sex work industry and uh, a lot of friends just in the queer community. And those are the two places I've noticed where it's uh, not a joke, you know, where it's spreading for whatever reason the way certain you know, sexually transmitted diseases do. Um, and there's an echo of like, you know, the, the HIV AIDS epidemic here. And it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty scary. The th thing I've noticed most that seems a little bit troubling is 
people trying to get the vaccine who like do sex work and stuff like that and uh you know being able to get it or not seems like it's something kind of kind of like doesn't make a whole lot of sense like i've heard a lot of jokes about how you have to prove you're gay or whatever um not really <laughs> sure the ins and outs i haven't gotten it i'm uh not really having a lot of sex right now <laughs> to be quite honest uh so i haven't hasn't uh, been a thing that's come up and worried me too much because that's uh you know it's not the only way to get it but it seems like the the you know the main way right now or whatever um yeah ugh. i don't know it's kind of worrying me it seemed like a it's something I mean, that's the same thing that happened with fucking covid it seemed like the joke of the week that week and then you go oh wait it's not going away and then before you know it it's like this huge fucking deal so yeah yeah, to to get on my soapbox for a sec. Yeah, I think them try. I think the them trying to designate it like they did HIV/AIDS back in the day as a gay disease is one reason why there isn't like a big freakout right now. Which technically there should be because uh, I guess it's not as deadly as COVID, but literally you break out in blotches, lesions. It's it's a literal plague thing. Yeah, it but, looks horrible. But it's just but I'm surprised no one's like, holy shit, oh my god, I gotta get vaccinated. But yeah. but then they say like, Oh, it's a gay disease. I'm not gay. I don't have to worry about it. Right. I mean that's also what happened with like HIV and AIDS, right? Is like people thought they couldn't get it because they weren't, you know, gay or having specifically gay sex or whatever and like uh, and you still can. So, like, uh, you're probably right to call attention to this. I mean, this has been something that, like, I remember. I was joking the other day. I made a tweet about it that was, like, my plan to simply ignore this is not, uh, you know, it's growing less and less viable by the day. I mean, that's that's where it is in my head is, like, this thing of, like, oh, fuck. I guess I should get on top of that because it doesn't sound like anyone <laughs> else is going to at yeah. some point. Yeah. That's probably I mean, worse. well, like I said, literal plague boils on your skin. You know, you can actually see the plague upon you. Not like COVID where you cough it up. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, I think on the recent episode PA, you said there's like some polio outbreak in New York or something. Yeah, apparently that's happening too, man. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> God. Yeah, I wish I, New, I should probably pay more York, attention to this yeah, stuff. Will New York ever get a break? I don't know, but that's just that's just part of her charm. <sighs> All right. Well, uh, well, my friend, that's that's out of, out of the interview. That's uh, all I wanted to talk to you about. Cool, man. Well, it was uh, good to talk to you. I'm uh, I'm glad we were finally able to do this. Sorry, I was a little bit distant from the tour, but uh, but I think we got it. No, it's completely fine. And uh, again, I apologize for the technical difficulties and you taking over. I very much appreciate that. All good. I don't know if like I don't know if there's any other podcasters that would be willing to do such a thing. I am a nonstop podcast machine. It was no problem at all. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, I'm really glad you came on. Uh, you're one of my favorite podcasters. Uh, it's a, your show, PDA, and uh, Why You Mad is a show that I tune in every week. You know, there's some podcasts that I'll listen to for some time. I'll marathon them. Mm -hmm. Then I'll take a break and then I'll go to another one. But uh, PA is one that I tune into every week. 
Oh, man, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, promo time. Uh, is there anything you would like to promote? Any upcoming shows, social media, you name it. Yeah, uh, my handle on all social media is at Feral Jokes. Feral like an animal, jokes like jokes. It's an anagram for my name. It's where I promote everything. Um, I don't really know. I have, like, no shows booked right now. I'm kind of taking summer vacation, but I'm, gonna, I'm working on some shit. And I think if you live in New York especially, I'll have some stuff booked pretty soon. I'm probably going on tour again early next year. And, uh, yeah, the podcast is Pod Damn America. We've been referring to it as PDA because it's shorter uh, my other one, Why You Mad, is on hiatus currently, but we'll probably be back soon. And um, yeah, that's probably it. That's my little, that's my little soapbox shop. All right, everyone. Since this was a special ad-free episode, uh, here's my uh, spiel. Uh, you can find the Garrett Shelky podcast on uh, all streaming platforms: Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean. You name it. It's probably there. You can find uh, Twitter at Shelky Podcast. Uh, it's also on Facebook. Check out the page there. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to advertise. <laughs> uh, Jake, again, thank you for being on, dude. This was awesome. I would uh, love to have you on again sometime. Yeah, man. It was great to be here. We'll uh, certainly do it again. Uh, I love to talk, so just keep throwing questions at me. I'll go off all day. All right, everyone, and uh, thank you for listening. Here is the outro song, and we're done. It's finished. Recording stopped. Oh, boy. Toad. Hey, wait a minute. You can't arrest a guy by just singing a song. For anti-Koopa songs, we can.